I want to invite you to open them to the last book in the Bible, Revelation, the 12th chapter, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. And we're going to take up where we left off last week. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. And I'm reading from the New International Version. The Bible says, And there was war in heaven. Michael, who is Jesus, and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. And you'll remember as you reflect on what we looked at last week, That on one side of this battle was Jesus. Jesus, who is the creator, the ruler, the king of the universe. Everything that was ever made comes from Jesus. And the rebel, whose name was Lucifer, was in fact created by Jesus Christ himself. He was, you'll remember, the head angel of heaven. And it was Lucifer, as he stood by the throne of God, that decided in his heart that he would rebel, that he would endeavor to usurp God's place, Jesus' place on the throne of heaven. And ever since foolish Lucifer, foolish Foolish Lucifer decided to rebel against God. Unfortunately, our small planet, planet Earth, which got caught up in the rebellion, has been mortally wounded. And in the last few weeks, we've looked at how this character, this personality, this fallen angel who has become a demon... In the last few weeks, we have looked at how he is the source, he is the influence, he is the driving force behind all the problems, behind all the pain and all the hurt that we are now as human beings experiencing on this planet. And oh, are we having some pain? Are we going through some hurt? And many of you out there know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. And as I was preparing this program, I began to think to myself, Who is Lucifer really? And what does Lucifer, what does Lucifer bring to our planet? And I came up with five adjectives that in my mind describe who Lucifer is and what he brings to our planet. Misery. Lucifer brings, Satan brings misery to the planet. He brings misery to the inhabitants of planet Earth. He brings despair everywhere you look on the planet today, 2007, you see people who are in despair. You see people in the poorer countries that are in despair. You can come to the richer countries. Money will not, does not bring people out of despair. And when I look out into our community, I am seeing hundreds, thousands, millions of people in despair. And they are in despair because we live in Lucifer. We live in Satan's world where he reigns. The third one is anxiety. This is the state of the hearts of so many people living in this dark world under the reign of Lucifer. Anxiety. They're anxious about their finances. They're anxious about their family. They're anxious about their lives. They're anxious about the future. They're anxious about everything. It's Lucifer. It's Satan. Grief. You just got to go to a funeral. You see grief. People, as they're reflecting on their own lives, there's grief. There's grief everywhere and there's depression. 
People are depressed. They are down. Everywhere you look, the world is suffering under the rule, under the reign of Lucifer, the arch rebel. But then I look at Jesus. And when I look at Jesus, I want to cheer every time I mention his name. Beautiful, beautiful Jesus. Five quick adjectives that describe to me Jesus. The other being on the other side of this battle. Well, the first one is security. And how we live in a world where people are longing for security. Psalm chapter 18 verse 2. I love this text. The Lord is my rock. I'm talking security. He is my fortress and my deliverer. He is security. My God is my rock. This is Jesus Christ in whom I take refuge. Oh, you want security? Run to Jesus. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Now, I don't know whether you realize it or not, but the United States Army, the United States Navy, and the United States Air Force, the United States Armed Services, they put their, their military command shelters deep underground into what? Rock. Do you know why they put their command shelters into rock? Because not even nuclear weapons can penetrate too deeply down into rock. Jesus is the biggest rock in the world. You can hide in Jesus the rock. Jesus the rock will shelter you from the trials, the troubles and the hurt of this world. And it's a fact. And how do I know it? Because I myself, with the struggles and the hurt and the pain of my life, am being sheltered in the rock, Jesus Christ. Praise God. The rock, Jesus, will protect you. The rock is the only security that you can rely on in this world. Jesus is security. Jesus, here's another adjective, is healing. Look at this beautiful text, Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness, that's Jesus, will rise with healing in his wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. You invite Jesus into your heart. You let Jesus live inside you. You let Jesus become not the devil, not Satan, not Lucifer. You let Jesus become the overwhelming influence in your life. Then I want to tell you this morning, he will bring healing. He will bring physical healing. Yes, he does. We've seen that in our church this year, where we have seen people healed of inoperable cancer. Of diseases that they should not recover from. Yes, when he chooses, he will bring that. But more than that, Jesus brings healing of the spirit and the soul. And we live in a world where people are so hurt. And there's so much pain. And they are so desperate to find healing for the spirit and the soul. And they look everywhere for it. And I want to tell you this morning, the only place that I know of, where you can find healing of the spirit of the soul, and this is the healing we all need, it's with Jesus. Psalm chapter 147, verse 3, and I quote this from the, the King James Version because I love the poetic way it expresses itself. He, this is Jesus, he healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. I went to a church when I was in New Zealand quite a few years ago and I met a young man there 
He was 19 years of age. He invited me to come out and have a little talk to him. I was a youth director in New Zealand. I decided that 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 might be a good thing because I could see that he was sick. He had no hair. He was only 19. So I went outside and I sat down with him and he said, I've got cancer. And he said, I don't think I've got too much longer to live. What do you say when you're a youth pastor and a young man confronts you with that truth? And so I sat down with him and I began to talk and I quickly realized that this young man, he had a bigger problem than cancer because he was wounded and he was sick and he was hurt inside. And he looked up at me and I could see the tears starting to swell in his eyes because this young man at 19 years of age was facing his destiny. He was only weeks from death and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I've been an Adventist all my life. And he says, I think I'm going to die in the next couple of weeks. And I don't know that I'm saved. He says, and I could see the hurt and the pain. He was sick, not just physically, but inside. And over the next hour to an hour and a half, I was able to sit down with that boy. I put my arms around him and I was able to, to lead him to Jesus who heals wounded spirits. And wounded souls. You know, I look back on my ministry of 17 years. and You're never absolutely sure whether you're really making a difference or not. But I know that when I get to heaven, that there's one boy that my life has made a difference to. Because I pushed him into Jesus Christ. And that Sabbath morning, that young boy, 19 years of age, he was healed in his spirit and his soul. And when he died three weeks later, I was able to go to his funeral and praise God that he had come down and healed this boy where it really matters in the spirit and in the soul. And there are some of you out there this morning that are hurt, that are in pain, and you need healing in your spirit and in your soul. And you know, you know who I'm talking to. I don't know, but God and you know. Go to Jesus. Run to Jesus. He will heal you. Third adjective, Jesus brings new beginnings. I love these two texts. He says, I will take away your stubborn heart. Oh, Lloyd needed that when he came to Jesus. I had a stubborn, rebellious, cold heart. This is a a wonderful description of who Jesus is and what he offers. I will take away your stubborn heart. How many of you have stubborn hearts? And give you a new heart. I wonder this morning how many of you need new hearts. And a desire to be faithful. Wonderful promise. You will have only pure thoughts. Wow, Jesus says, this is what I offer you today. I'll take your hard heart of, of stone, your stubborn heart, and I will change it so I will give you a new heart and you will be faithful and you will be pure. Wow. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten and everything is new. I see people as they come to me as a pastor And I see their brokenness, and I see their wounds, and I see their hurt, and I see their pain, and I see their lives are all screwed up and messed up, and I see them come to Jesus. 
And I watch as they open their hearts to Jesus. And all you've got to do to open your heart to Jesus is say, Lord, I'm hurt, come in. I see people go through this experience and I watch Jesus. You know, I'm watching YouTube this week and they're having a discussion on this particular site about Jesus and the reality of God. And, and there were some atheists and they were, they were tearing apart Christianity. And I thought to myself, you know, you fools, you sit there and you tear apart Christianity, you tear apart the reality of God and of Jesus Christ. And yet here as a pastor, I watch God, I watch Jesus Christ come into people's lives and I watch him, I watch him. I am a gazer, I see, I am a witness to Jesus coming into people's lives and changing them. They are headed in that direction and he will stop them, he will heal them, he will turn them around and he'll head them straight for God. And that's a miracle. And that's what happens when you invite Jesus in. He gives you a new heart. He makes you a new person. It does not matter what you have done. It does not matter how dark you have fallen. It does not matter to God what grievous sin you have committed. He will take you. He will take you this morning where you are. He will put his arms around you. And if you let him, he will give you a new heart and he will make you a new person. You'll become such a new person that your family won't recognize you. Your, your friends won't recognize you. You won't recognize yourself. So dramatic will be the change in your heart if you let Jesus in. He will make you a new person. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. Love. The Lord your God, Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17, this is Jesus. The Lord your God is with you, he is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you, he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Let Jesus come inside. Let him put his arms around you and love you. I used to say to my, I used to, say to my wife, I, I don't say this much now, but I did used to say this to Yarn. Do you remember? She doesn't like me talking about myself and her, but I'm going to say it. I used to look at her and I used to say, you what me, huh? You can't remember, can you? You complete me. I don't know whether that was just some airy fairy lovey thing I was saying. But I'll tell you this morning, you are designed for Jesus Christ. You are designed for Jesus Christ. When you let him into your life and when you let him love you, he will complete you. And the love of Jesus is so strong and it's so deep. That's what will drive you to follow him. It's not the law, as important as that is. It's not the end of time, and it's coming with a rush. The thing that will drive you to Jesus is as you begin to get a taste of how wonderful his love is. And the last one this morning is hope. For I know the plans, I love this, I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, this is, this is Jesus' desire for you. Plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. This is so diametrically opposed to Satan. Jesus is at the other end of the scale to Satan. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Well, you look at these two beings this morning. On one side is Jesus. On the other side is Lucifer. Who are you going to choose? And you know, this series is deadly serious. We are talking about human survival. 
We're talking about your survival. And the question you've got to ask yourself this morning is who are you going to choose to be the master of your life? On one side you have Jesus and he offers you everything. On the other side you have Satan and he offers you nothing but death. Who are you going to choose? Revelation chapter 12 verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 talking about this war in heaven. His tail, this is the devil, swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. I don't know how it worked. I don't know how Satan was ever able to get an angel to side with him in his rebellion against God. But you know what? He's doing the same thing here on earth today. Just as he got a third of the angels to side with him, so he is getting a good majority of our planet to side with him, to side with darkness, to side with death, to side with pain, to side with misery. That's what happens when we, that's what happened when these angels sided with Lucifer in heaven. And so you have a third of the angels, billions, it wasn't millions, billions of angels who joined the rebellion against Lucifer. So if a third went with Lucifer, that means two thirds. So two out of every three stayed with Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, there's no doubt, he had the majority in this army. Now I want to tell you this morning, straight from, straight from the mark, that Satan's angels, this was not an even fight. Satan's angels and Satan himself could never compete against Jesus Christ. To start off with, when Satan's angels lost, when they, when, when they left, when they left Jesus and they sided with Satan, they lost most of their power. They disconnected themselves from the life force, from the giver of all power, Jesus Christ. They became weak. And it is true to this day that angels, demon angels, they are, I've been confronted with them, far more powerful than you or I. But when you compare them to the angels that walk by your side, that serve Jesus Christ, they are weak. They are not strong. They lose every time. And you have examples in the Bible of how strong the angels of Jesus Christ who went into battle with him in that war so long ago, how strong they were. In 2 Kings chapter 19, we have Hezekiah under attack by wicked king Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. And the Assyrian, the Assyrian king, he mocks God. He mocks Hezekiah and Hezekiah prays to the Lord God of heaven. And he says, you can hear this king mocking you, God. He said, you can hear him bringing your name into disrepute. Deal with him. Well, God sends, Jesus sends an angel. One angel. How many? One. And that angel goes down and with a swipe of his celestial sword in one night, he destroys that Assyrian king's army. 185,000 men. The biggest army, the strongest army in the world. One angel dealt with them in one night. And then you have the story of Jesus Christ. He's put in the tomb. We know that the devil and hordes of demon angels, perhaps almost every demon angel on the planet, gathered around the entrance to Jesus' tomb when he was crucified. They did not want Jesus to rise again because they knew that if Jesus rose again, then they were defeated, they were lost, they were going to die. And so they gathered around that tomb. They weren't going to let anyone get near that tomb. God sends how many angels? One angel. Get this this morning, the hosts of all the demon angels here on earth are gathered around that tomb. God only sends one, one angel. And that angel goes down, one angel. He didn't send a battalion. He didn't send a division. He only had to send one. And that angel goes down and again with a sweep of his celestial sword, those demons scatter. 
They cannot compete. When it comes strength on strength, God's angels are far stronger. This was not a fair battle. Praise God. And I want to tell you this morning that the same angels that marched with Jesus in heaven, in that great army that defeated the devil, the same angels with the same strength, one that killed 185,000 Assyrians, an angel with the same strength, the same power as that one who came and defeated the hosts of demons, gathered around Jesus too. Those angels have been sent by God. Just one. An angel like that has been sent by God to protect you. Psalm 34 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. My little girl Hannah's going to bed last night. She has nightmares at times and she looks up at me and she says, Dad, is there an angel in the room? And I look at her and I said, Hannah, there is an angel in the room. And that angel will protect you and he's the most powerful being outside God himself on the planet here tonight. Oh, God sends angels, one angel to protect you, to walk with you through your life. That's how much he loves you. We go back to the story, verse 8, the Bible says, But he, Satan, was not strong enough. And these angels, these rebellious angels, they lost their place in heaven. Now, a lot of people say to me, was this battle physical or was it just spiritual? Well, well, I'll tell you, right as, as we unpack this Bible study this morning, I think it was a physical battle. Why do I say that? Well, you remember those of you who attend this church, and this has had a big impact on my life. How last week, last year, last year I went to Papua New Guinea. I I preached to 10,000 plus people a night. Oh, praise the Lord. It was a wonderful experience. And you remember how I went to sleep that night? And I woke up with a... You remember, I was in a place of witch doctors, of the occult, of darkness, a place where Satan truly does rule and yet Jesus is fighting very strongly and, and very hard to win those beautiful... And he is winning. Jesus is winning thousands to his cause up there in heaven. You remember how I was asleep and that demon came while I was asleep and grabbed me around the throat? And began to throttle me. This is why I shake my head when I hear these fools. I see these fools on the internet saying God doesn't exist. Well, if God doesn't exist, who had me around the throat that night? It was a demon. If God doesn't exist, who came and saved me? I cried out in the name of Jesus. You remember the story? And it was like a rush of wind as the angel came into that room. And literally, and and I felt it. Grab that demon that was trying to throttle the very life out of me and threw him. And you remember I said to you that the demon let out an animalistic growl as my angel threw him to the other side of the room. It was physical. Well, let me tell you this morning, it was physical. I think this battle in heaven was physical. Now, if Jesus can throw out those angels, those demon angels, if he can with his angels throw them out of heaven, I want to tell you this morning that he can throw the demons that live inside of you out of your life. If he can throw them out of heaven, he can throw them out of your life. And that's good news this morning. You better believe it. That's why the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourselves. It means open your heart to Jesus. Invite him in. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist, resist, resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Jesus, I know this from my own experience. I know it from my own walk. I am proof that this works. Jesus will send you powerful angels. Angels exceeding in strength. Who will help you to get rid of the devil out of your life however he is plaguing you look at these beautiful texts Psalm 50 verse 15 Jesus says call upon me call upon me in the day of trouble I will deliver you and you will honour me 
He delivered me in Papua New Guinea from a demon. He'll deliver you from whatever demon and whatever way they're harassing you today. Look at this, Psalm chapter 91, verse 15. Call upon me, Jesus says, I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you, Jesus says. I will honour you. Praise God. All you've got to do is call on his name. Jesus, I need help. He will send an angel that is by your side anyway, instantly to help. All you stay with us in this series. We're going to unpack this a lot more before we finish. Praise God. Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29, the Bible's full of these promises of Jesus who will send his angels to give you power, to give you strength, to protect you from the demon angels that were defeated in heaven so long ago. Verse 12 and verse 13, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Did you hear that? You call upon me, you come and pray, we don't serve a dead God. Bible says here, he will listen to us. Verse 13, we will seek him. And find him when we seek him with all our hearts. These beautiful promises. And we need to go through the Bible and claim these promises into our own hearts and our own lives. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9. The great dragon was hurled down. That serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. I wish it didn't happen. But he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. It's the beginning of the earth. There's Adam and Eve. And you know, the thing that ties us to Adam and Eve is blood. The blood of Adam and Eve. The blood of the people in this story this morning flows through your veins. And this is what happens. A brand new earth. And most of you know the story. These two beautiful people just created living in paradise. Chapter 3 of Genesis verse 1. Now the serpent, this is Satan. He was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, do not, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? This story reminds me of the story of a small boy. He's come into the kitchen. His mother's just baked some cookies. He's come into the kitchen. He's got up on the stool and he's staring intently into that cookie jar. And finally his mother looks at him and says, are you trying to steal a cookie, Johnny? No, ma'am, he says. I'm trying not to steal one. <laughs> what do I mean? We'll look at this next verse. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree? Eve wasn't trying to do wrong any more than that young boy was trying to do wrong. In this story, we find Eve trying not to do wrong. What do I mean? Look at this verse. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Eve begins to talk. She did not go to the tree to be tempted any more than the little boy went to the cookie jar to be tempted. She did not go to eat the fruit any more than the little boy went to eat the cookie. She did not go to do wrong. She did not go to do sin any more than the little boy with the cookie jar went to do wrong, went to do sin. She was mesmerized by the forbidden fruit. The tr look, the garden was full of fruit trees. Could have eaten any fruit. 
God said, do not eat that one particular fruit. And she became mesmerized, just as little Johnny was mesmerized, we could say, like little Lloyd is mesmerized by the cookies, by the banana cake. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. I used to look at this story and I used to say, God, what's the big deal? It's a fruit tree for goodness sake. I'd look at all the pain and the suffering and and, and what people are going through and even now I'm tempted to say, God, what are you doing? There's a fruit tree for goodness sake. Who cares whether she eats fruit or not? Reminds me of a little boy, another little boy's story. He wouldn't eat his veggies. Couldn't have been me. I always ate my veggies. And his mother finally, after working with him for so long, said, Well, Johnny, you've been misbehaving. You're not going to eat your veggies. Get up to your room. And so he storms up to his room as only little boys can. I can remember what I would do. And he goes into his room and he shuts the door and there happens to be a huge thunder and lightning storm happening at the time and he goes to the window and he sees a lightning and he sees a thunder and finally you know he's convicted that God's talking to him because he folds his arms in defiance and he looks out the window and he says God such a big deal just because I wouldn't eat my veggies and sometimes we do that when we look at this story we go oh God such a big deal as a piece of fruit, for goodness sake. And I, I think God hears that cry from us. But I want to tell you this morning that this was not, it was not about a piece of fruit. It was about Satan and it was about Jesus and who Eve and Adam would choose as their life source. That was the test. God made it simple because he did not want to make it complex and difficult for Adam and Eve. But when the serpent began to speak to them, they were making they were making a decision on whether they would listen to God and choose Jesus as their life source or whether they would listen to the rebel as he, as he whispered into their ears those words of deceit, those words of lie, those words of rebellion. A little bit like a car battery. I don't know whether you realise this or not, but if you take your car battery out and your car is running that sooner or later and it'll be sooner than later without the battery your car will stop the battery is the life source for your car I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is the life source you look at your hands have a look at your wrists and you can see the blood running through your hands feel your heart as it beats listen to your lungs as you breathe the force that causes all that to happen It's not physical, it is not biological, it's from Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ that gives you the gift of life. And when Adam and Eve chose the devil, who has no life in him, they chose death and we've been suffering ever since. Verse 4, we're coming to the close. You'll not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, lie. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He is mixing truth and lies. You will not surely die. Lie. You will know the difference between good and evil. Truth. And and Satan's been doing that ever since. And I want to tell you this morning that one of the most subtle ways Satan comes into our lives is that he will tell us some truth. In fact, often a whole lot of truth mixed in with a tiny little bit of evil. And the Bible says in verse 6, and perhaps this is the saddest verse in all the Bible, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Snake bite. And as they ate that fruit, the toxic poison of following the devil, of following the Satan, of following his way, began to course through their veins. And I want to, you know, do not leave this place to this morning without recognizing, without realizing what happened in that garden. Eve united herself with Satan. And inside himself, as powerful as Satan is, as beautiful as he still is as a physical being, inside himself there is no life. She united herself with Satan. It's called sin. And when you unite yourself with Satan, you begin to die. He is toxic poison to the human race. We are not designed to be united with Satan. And when we unite our lives with Satan, we begin to die. And there's a whole lot of people in this world. And there's a whole lot of people in this city. And possibly some of you in this church who have united yourselves with Satan. You do not do it purposefully. In fact, if you turn your way from God, if you do not open your heart to Jesus Christ, then whether you like it or not, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, you have moved into a relationship with the devil. And so this morning you've got to ask yourself the question, am I with Jesus? Is he in my heart? Have I surrendered to him? Or am I with the devil? Now if you're not with Jesus, oh you can still be a good bloke. You can still be a good person. You can still come to church. You can still pay your taxes. You can still love your wife. You can still wear your suit. You can still look to everybody who sees you the Christian. But if you are not with Jesus, and this is a sobering thought, then you are united with Satan. And when Adam and Eve took that fruit, they made a conscious choice to unite themselves with the devil. And the poison began to spread. And I wonder this morning what it was like for Adam and Eve when they first began to feel fear. They'd never felt or experienced that before. This is living now in Satan's world. I wonder how it was for Eve as she was gardening and she first pricked her finger and felt pain and began to bleed. This is Satan's reign. This is Satan's world. She had joined herself with him. Oh, I wonder what pain she experienced when she watched her oldest son. It didn't take long, did it? Not even a full generation. Her oldest son, Cain, killed his brother, Abel. I wonder what it was like for Adam and Eve as they felt for the first time the sting of death. And I want to tell you this morning as I close this service, remember this is a series, that Jesus looked down from heaven and his heart went out to Adam and Eve. You know, Jesus loves us. I pray to the Lord when I preach these sermons, I said, Lord, you've got to bring your Holy Spirit here because I don't have the ability to share with these people how much you love them. I don't have the words in English to share with you how much Jesus loves you. He loved Adam and Eve. He loves you. It's a high love. It's a deep love. It's a long love. 
You can't measure this love. It's an awesome love. He loves you and he loved Adam and Eve. And he looked down and he said, I will rescue them. And we find this just after the fall of man. Verse 6, we have the conclusion to the fall of man. And in verse 15, nine verses later, Jesus hardly gives them time to breathe. And this is what he says. And you need to keep coming to this series because we're going to look at this because this, is, this verse changed the world. Jesus said, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman. And between your offspring and hers. See, Jesus made a plan and his plan was to come through human beings to the world to become a human and save them. And this is what he says. He will crush your head, Satan. He said, Satan, in the end, I will kill you. I will stop this rebellion. I will crush your head. He said, you will bruise, you will strike my heel, you will cause me pain. But he said, in the end, I will defeat you and I will save the human race. And this morning, Jesus stands before you in all his beauty. And he looks at you in the pain and in the darkness and in the hurt of the world you live in. And he says, I will save you. Now you will hear better preachers than me. And you will hear men make far more powerful calls than I can. But Jesus did bring you to this church this morning for a reason. Because he wants to save you. And he wants to give you a chance to come out of union with Satan, to come out of the hurt and the pain and the darkness. He wants to give you a chance to come to him and experience, yes, while you're still in the darkness of this world, he wants you to come out and experience what it's like to live in the light, in the dark world. And so he calls you. And this whole series, we've got seven programs left, seven Sabbaths. The, the next seven Sabbaths are going to be about how you can walk with Jesus, how you can accept him into your heart, and how you can stay walking with Jesus. And you know what? That's what the world needs. That's what you and I need. We need the healing power of Jesus, his presence in our life. But this morning I want to leave you with this challenge. That's all I'm asking you to do. It's all the Lord's challenging you to do, and it's the same challenge that I left you with this week. I want to encourage you. I want to almost beg and plead with you to pray this prayer in your life. Pray it in the morning when you wake up. Pray it every time the Holy Spirit comes to you during the day and pokes you about it. I pray this prayer maybe 15, 20 times a day. I've been telling the church this is a new thing for me. It's transforming my life. Pray this prayer. It'll put you in touch with Jesus Christ who offers himself to save you. And here it is. And I want you to pray it with me again. I'll say the word. Let's bow our heads. And you pray it with me. If the Lord, it's the same call this week as last week. It's the same Jesus who's calling you. And I want to encourage you to pray this prayer after me. Out loud, just bow your heads. We can all do this together. And let's let Jesus begin to live inside of us and to save us from the darkness. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I am your man or woman. I choose you to be my God. Come into my heart. Forgive me for my sins. Oh, Jesus, wash me in your blood. Help me to be an overcomer. Jesus, I choose you to be the captain of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, he's real. He heard that prayer, please. Until next week, we're now beginning a walk with you.
He's there. He loves you. He's offering himself to you today. This is your time to follow Jesus Christ. But when the Jesus, when you wake up in the morning, you pray that prayer to Jesus, you are making, you are making a statement to him and the devil. Hey, you are my God. As you go through the day, every time you think of that prayer, learn it off by heart. If you haven't got a good memory like me, put it in your pocket. Every day, you can be sitting at your work desk. You can be working in the hospital as a nurse. Whatever you're doing, I want you to pull that prayer out if you've got to. Or remember it and pray it. Pray it once. Pray it twice. Pray it five times. I pray that prayer 15, 20, sometimes 30 times a day. I wake up, I pray that prayer. I go to sleep, I pray that prayer. I am, praise God, being drawn into the presence of Jesus Christ. And he's offering you the same thing. And I challenge you to it. Taste and see. Taste and see that Jesus, the Lord, he is good. He is very good.